freedom freedom over fame freedom over cycle stays the same welcome in everyone to how to ride a roller coaster i'm your host david ezel here we'll talk with business owners and founders on what it's like to ride the roller coaster known as entrepreneurship how to navigate the highs the lows, as well as tangible tips that you can use right now to kickstart your business or idea. Let's get to it. Welcome into today's episode of How to Ride a Roller Coaster. Today I'm joined by Sophia Babul. She is the founder of Bright Owl. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Oh, I'm good. You know, um, it's like we said a little bit before we started recording, I mean, it feels like it's been forever since we've seen each other, you know. Um, but no, I mean, t- tell me more. How are, how are things going? Yeah, it's going great. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on. Um, you got it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, things are going great. I recently graduated in May 2022. Awesome. Um, and currently I am taking a class at Harvard's extension program for marketing. So I'm just trying to ensure that um, any gaps that I had, you know, from my undergrad, I'm kind of filling them now. Um, yeah. And I'm working um, at Bright Owl and trying to scale the company. So just your casual weeks. <laughs> you have nothing going on. Sounds like your com- calendar is totally open. Totally open. Yeah, it's exciting. <laughs> nice. And so, I mean, like we met whenever you pitched Bright Owl at Founders Live, but which seems like, again, seems like an eternity ago. So, so tell me more about kind of what Bright Owl is, but we can kind of start a little bit, I guess, from kind of where we were at Founders Live, like when you were okay. just getting going. But tell me where you guys are now. Yeah, for sure. So um, it's a virtual K through 12 tutoring company. And I started it in August 2021 as a senior in college. Um, And I was at my friend's apartment all the time. And we were just like, it would just be the two of us just honestly, just just working at it and grinding to make sure that we were finding customers through the most random or at the time, it seemed the most random channels like WhatsApp or we would we didn't have any funding at the time. So we were just like, let's post something and see what happens or put it through college groupies and see if we can create a stir. And so um, that's kind of the founding of it. Um, and within a couple of weeks, we had our first credit card on file. So it's like this idea of like, OK, there might be something here, you know, um, and the pandemic actually opened up this interesting opportunity to, to fill this education gap that we were noticing. Um, and so the premise of it is virtual tutoring, but all the tutors are college students. And the reason we wanted to do that as well was because college students are always looking for flexible jobs um, so they can pay rent, they can you know, um, eat healthy foods or, or whatever you know they're gonna be using those funds for. But it's like this cool recyclable program because a lot of our students now have said like, oh, I can't wait to be a tutor. So it's like such a cool cycle. Um, and, so, and so yeah, so for today, um, I'm working on the company um, full time and um, we have been able to scale to Canada and, uh, and other parts of the United States. We got our first like Pakistani student so that was a very cool experience dealing with time zones and internet and all that. But, um, but yeah, so we're scaling and we're looking for other partnerships in terms of how can we incorporate more tech into the classroom, whether that's through virtual reality or AR. And that's kind of the next big thing that we're trying to get into. Very cool. So, so where did you guys start? Like what made you come up with the idea for Bright Owl? Totally. So basically in August, 2021, um, that was kind of when we were starting to come back into UT's campus, which is where I went to school. And basically we, my friend and I were part of the same business course. It was an entrepreneurship course. And for the course, you had to come up with a company and create a pitch deck. And it was the first time that I was doing all these things because I was a neuroscience student. So this was completely out of my field. And I was like, okay, I'm not quite sure what I'm doing, but basically with the right resources and the right mentors, we were able to recognize that 
every company is supposed to fill some gap, whatever that happens to be. Um, and, you know, as college students who were recently, who had like so many of our, our, our classes during those, like that two year period was online. We were like, it's not very easy for everybody to sit in front of a Zoom screen for hours on end and learn OCHEM. You know, that's just not very conducive to everybody's style. So yeah. extra educational support services were 100% needed. So we tried it out and we started off with the K through 12 space because we were like, if college students are having this problem, younger students must be having this problem at an even more intensified level. So we started there um, and that's kind of how we came up with the idea. We were like, let's find a gap. Let's see if we have the knowledge and the resources to fill it. And let's see if we can do something unique because the tutoring space is highly concentrated. Um, it, it's, it's incredibly competitive. So one thing that our tutors are about to start doing is getting trained in social emotional learning. And the reason we're doing that is because we've recognized that students, when they have low self-esteem, they have low confidence, they're not happy in the classroom or they're dealing with something at home, that is always bleeding into their educational experience. And so right. you have tutors that are trained to kind of be more aware of these red flags of test anxiety, or I'm getting anxious or I'm getting nervous, um, then we'd be able to kind of handle that in, in an appropriate way. So that's kind of how we started. And even during COVID, you know, so many people were feeling isolated and lonely and we're like, this, this, this must be coming into their educational experience. So how can we kind of recognize that that exists and, you know, respond accordingly? Yeah. You know, and even, even with things like just going to work. So just talking adults for a second, um, yeah. especially now we live in a virtual world where you don't even have to be in the same city, time zone, country as the company that you work for. And, and that's great. I mean, I love the flexibility that I actually get day to day, but that is the downside is you see people on these small little Zoom boxes. You don't really get that, yeah. that one-on-one -on -one real connection because I mean, I, I, you can't set a time on a calendar to just say, hey, let's just use 30 minutes just to talk about whatever, you know, you just kind of miss out on those. So I think, it, and especially for children, I can't even imagine like our son at home. I mean, he's not old enough yet to, to be in school, but I can only imagine just, you know, you have a second grader and COVID happens and now mm -hmm. everything is virtual. Exactly. All of that really fine time of building relationships and human interactions that they start to miss. And like you said, everybody doesn't learn the same. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so what, what did you guys find whenever you started this? What were some of the, some of those highs and lows, some of those things where you were like, oh man, that, that really works, but this we need to maybe take back to the drawing board. Exactly. So that's a great question. So basically what we did is when we first, you know, I was our first tutor because we got our first customer. We're like, oh man, we didn't hire. <laughs> but like, basically I was like, I was our first tutor. And what I realized was that, um, the virtual space is, is a tricky space because especially when you're dealing with younger children, they themselves find it hard to engage because they are looking at a zoom screen and they're finding that this is not the same as my classroom. Like where, why can't I, I why am I not touching the board or touching the crayons around me? And, and, and to put them into this new environment takes a lot of um, takes a lot of learning. And I think when we started, we, to be completely honest, I don't think we were fully ready for what that experience would look like. Um, so our first session was, I have to be honest, pretty rough because we were like <laughs> trying to trying to engage a student, and we were trying to be um, highly encouraging over a screen. And, and that in itself poses a lot of problems because there's a distance. Although I'm talking directly to you, you know. Um, so 
one of the highs, one of the lows that we noticed was the fact of the virtual space isn't for everybody. So we recognize that fact and we're like, okay, we know it's not for everybody. How can we make it an experience that is positive for those students that do come into our system and do find it helpful, you know? Um, so when we started looking at like eighth graders or sixth graders, we were able to have really effective communication. We were able to use the Zoom screen or annotate or highlight or, you know, come up with keywords um, and write vocabulary words on the screen. And so that type of engagement and interaction was a, was definitely a high because students were like, it's so convenient. I can just go home or I can stay at school, log into a Zoom screen, and my homework will be completed by the end of the hour. So there's definitely this convenience aspect. Um, but I think when we were looking at our audience, we were like, we want to be for every kid. And I think that was a pretty ambitious you know, goal. But I, what we, we, we came to realize was it's okay for not for everybody. No company is for every single person. Um, but whoever we are for, we want to make sure that experience is high quality, it's convenient, it's affordable, especially during COVID when so many parents were losing their jobs. We were not, um, our, our intention wasn't to overcharge or to, to be, um, you know, highly like a luxurious type of tutoring center. This was, this is where you come to feel supported. And we happen to do that through education. You know, at the end of the day, if your self-esteem, the objective of every course is leave with higher self-esteem, leave with higher confidence. And even if we don't get through every math problem, but you feel good about yourself and about yeah. your ability, you know, objective reached, like that's, that is success to us, you know? That's great. Um, and so how many, um, let me just say how to reframe the question. Um, when you guys first started, where did you mm -hmm. find your, your customers? Just like you said, you were the first tutor, uh, but where yep. did you guys find your first customer? Like right when you opened the doors, knew what you were doing, had the curriculum, knew kind of the processes, where did that first customer base come from? Yeah, that's a great question. So it's actually a very fun experience because suddenly I was like looking at context I had, haven't reached out to like in years and years. I was like, hey, I'm doing this thing, you know, but like basically a friend of mine and I, we just sat in her apartment um, and over, of course, Chipotle, we basically were like, we're just going to text this paragraph message that we started this. This is the goal. We'd love to see if you were interested. And we linked a Google form and we sent it to anybody and everybody that we had on our phones, whether that was through WhatsApp or Facebook DMs or Instagram DMs, and we just mass messaged. Um, and we started getting interest and those that Google form started slowly be filled out. And it was just an interest form because, yeah. you know, in the beginning we were just like, okay, we don't want to dive so deep. And then no, there's no demand for this, you know? So we started off, we gauged interest and then we went back to those contacts through WhatsApp, through, through various social media platforms. And I'm also part of a religious community. Um, it's like, it's called the Ismaili Muslim community. And my friend, my partner was part of the Hindu community. So we both had these religious communities in Dallas that we were highly, highly connected to. So yeah. we used that as a platform too, to be like, whenever we went, she went to her temple or I went to my mosque, we would just be like, Hey, I'm doing this and I'm going to put it on the bulletin board or the religious education center or whatever we were able to do. And it was just kind of like this shameless plugging off all again oh. and again and again. <laughs> it was great. But, um, and then of course through UTD, we were able to enter into their Blackstone Launchpad program. Um, we were able to join multiple entrepreneur organizations. We participated in so many pitches to the point where the message started to spread. And when we told UTD, tutors started to re to college students started to be like, oh my God, that's a job. And I'm like, yes, it is a job. And yes, so that's kind of where we got a majority of our, of our tutors as well. And they told their friends. So now we have tutors from Austin and UT and, and all, all part of the UT system. Um, but yeah, that, that's kind of how we got started. Yeah. You know, and I think so many, so many founders kind of miss that part right away. You know, they, they think of going kind of casting that net outward as opposed mm -hmm. to looking right, right what's around them. Um, yeah. And I love what you said about kind of utilizing the form as opposed to giving them too much. 
Because I feel like a lot of, and I've, I've been guilty of that in the past before as well, where I tell somebody every single thing about what my new business is going to do, but yeah. in, it really what I'm doing is I'm giving them opportunities to say no or not to want to keep going. Maybe it's, maybe they have a kid who it's, it's not for, or the price mm-hmm. point, or I'm giving them, you know, multiple mm-hmm. possibilities mm-hmm. to kind of change paths. I love for what sure. you guys did with starting with a form saying, this is what it is. This is an interest form. If you're mm-hmm. interested, let's then continue that conversation. Um, mm-hmm. And I love that you said you just scour Instagram, you know, WhatsApp, Facebook, your local places. I mean, I think that's mm-hmm. a great way to get started because you yeah. can build that word of mouth and then you mm-hmm. can scale and get more when you need to. 100%. That, that's such a great point. And, you know, it's kind of like the usage of that foot in the door phenomenon. Yeah. And the reason we sent out the interest form at all was to kind of like, first of all, reawaken some of the contacts that we hadn't been in touch with recently. And then when they started filling out the forms, we would go back to them and literally call each person. Like, however many hundreds, like it didn't matter. We would split the list and we'd be like, hey, this is what we're doing. I'd love to sign you up for a free diagnostic test if you're free tomorrow at five. And we would conduct these like one hour long tests where we would be able, by the end of the test, we'd be able to identify what subtopics that child is having a problem in, is struggling in. And we would just be like, it's a free test. And so suddenly they're like, oh, it's free. What do I have to lose except for time? You know, so not only do you grab interest, but then you grab them one more time when you're like, oh, it's a free assessment. That's awesome. And then when our conversion rate happened to be like very thankfully very high because we had developed that relationship over time rather than directly saying, hey, I'm doing this sign up for the, for, for the assessment, if you want, you know, it's kind of just like, right. let me lead you through the process one step at a time and, and we'll finish it, you know, successfully. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that kind of goes back to the whole reciprocity thing. You're giving them something for free yes. that's of value for them. And mm-hmm. then that way they can either choose to go with you or not, but you're, you're showing interest. You're talking in their level and you're giving them something that is also tangible and something that they mm-hmm. want. Yeah. I, th- I think that's, I think that's brilliant. Um, and so what does the ideal team look like? So I know you said that you guys kind of go with the college age so that, that it then kind of becomes that repeatable process. The kids that have mm-hmm. gone through, they also say, wow, I love this. I loved my experience. I want to do this for, for others. Um, yes. So what does that ideal team look like? Is it best and the brightest of college students? What, what mm-hmm. does that kind of feel like? That's a great question. And, you know, it, it's so interesting because when we were thinking about, like, what are the actual requirements for a tutor? We were like you know, as founders, there's nobody who's going to be as passionate about something as you are. Like, and it just, it just comes because like, this is like kind of like your baby, right? It you're is. trying to mature and develop oh, yeah. and, and you're like, oh, like I don't want anything to get messed up. And so <laughs> basically we were like, okay, we obviously know we need high academic achievement. And so one of the, the key components is like having a transcript and, and for, for, if you want, for example, if the tutor wants to teach calculus, um, the requirement that we have is they have to have an A minus or above in that class um, just to ensure that, you know, you have shown mastery yourself. So I trust you to help the student who is having difficulty in the subject. So there is that, that, there is that, that barrier of a GPA. And, and we, the reason we do that is so we are able to say, hey, we, you are learning from someone who has performed well. You know, um, the second thing we ask for is a resume and, and a professor recommendation or a recommendation from a coach, anything like that. Um, the the reason we do that is because we want to see this holistic person, right? Like the person yeah. is not that number and is not an A minus. And even if we have the best and the, the most academic, academically like bright individual, how do they interact with kids? You know, how do they interact at a more social emotional level? Um, and if there seems to be that immaturity or there seems to be like, you know, he has such great grades or she has such great grades. However, I'm not really finding that they're sociable. They're socially interacting or they're amicable. And I don't really find that I can speak easily. And so yeah. all of those social emotional cons 
concepts come into the interview when we just like have a zoom call or a phone call. And I'm just like, talk to me about like what you do today. Like, tell me like what your life is all about. Tell me what you're passionate about. And that's kind of when we pick up for cues of like easiness to speak to. Um, are they someone that opens up space for comfortability? Like, um, and all of these different concepts, because when you put them into environment with a child, if the child isn't comfortable, they are not going to make mistakes um, freely and they're going to be afraid to ask questions. And that's not the environment that we want to support, you know? So it, at the end of the day, it all comes down to the tutor. You know, it's about the grades, of course, but it's also about what kind of human being are you and how do you bring that personality into the classroom? You know? Gotcha. Are there certain characteristics that you guys look for when hiring? Yeah, that's a great question. That's, I love that question. So, um, yeah, it's, you know, it's, so at the moment we have 70 part-time tutors. And when we first began, it was just me and then it became five and then it became 10 and it started to grow. And it's, it's crazy because when you first start off, you're with like with five tutors, I was having like one hour conversations with them. Tell me about your life. Tell me about what you did today. But as it grew, I'm like, oh no, I don't have, 70. <laughs> I don't have 70 hours now, you know, but, um, what we do now is like, the characteristics that we look for, um, I'd say the, the the number one thing is adaptability. Um, and the reason we look for that is because um, sometimes when like, for example, like at a more logistics granular level, when a student, a student's original tutor can't make it or they get into, um, we, like we've, we've been through so many experiences where tutors have either gone into an accident right before the session or, or um, they can't make it because they're sick or they realize that this is not for them. You know, we have lots of moments where people are constantly moving and constantly switching. So as a tutor to be able to just step into the environment and be like, Hey, I need you at five. It's four. Can you make it? You know, like, right. and so it's that kind of adaptability is something that we absolutely look for. Um, and I think the second thing is just like empathy, you know, empathy when you're working with your colleagues, but then also empathy when you walk into the classroom, you know, um, the reason a child is receiving tutoring is because they are struggling with something. And if it came easily to you, um, that's fantastic. But we can't go in with that assumption that everybody learns like I do. Right. You know, everybody will get things as easily as I do. You know, like, and that kind of um, mindset is something we're trying to kind of break a little bit and be like, hey, you know what? Walk into the environment with, with just like a blank space and just like a, a blank sheet and just be like, I get to mold this child in a way that I, that I'm, that I want. And I'm going to do it with empathy. I'm going to do it with care. I'm going to do it with honesty. And, and yeah, that's kind of what we, we hope to do. I love that. So, and kind of the nature of this whole podcast and show is all about really the roller coaster of entrepreneurship, the highs and the lows. So can you tell me about a time that was maybe one of those lows, you know, mentally in the business, whatever the case is, but then contrast that with what were, what was maybe an interest or a time with one of the highs? Yeah, for sure. Oh my God. So many lows. <laughs> oh, <laughs> but, um, that is okay. So, you know, when I first started as a senior in college, I'd say um, I participated in so many pitch competitions. And at the first, I mean, I've definitely lost more than I've won. And I'm actually really proud to say that, you know. Um, and I think that, you know, your first loss is like, oh my God, like maybe this business isn't for me. You know, maybe I'm in, I'm, I'm way out of my depth here and this is way, going way over my head and I'm not supposed to be here. <laughs> so, you know, when I, when I lost like the first like two or three pitch competitions, it's like a part of me was like, I don't, I don't, I'm not getting validation and therefore this must not be the space I'm supposed to be in. But mm -hmm. then with like the right mentors and the right assets, we started to, we started to fix and iterate our pitch deck and we're like, okay, maybe our business model isn't working. Maybe we should try a subscription model. And that ended up working, you know? So it's kind of like this constant, these constant rounds of iteration, yeah. um, were, were exhausting. I have to be honest. And they were challenging, but they were so worth it because now we've developed a structure that is sustainable, you know? Um, so I'd say like as a student, obviously those competitions, like losing them on a continuous basis was like, Oh no, another yeah. one. 
it's okay, you know? Um, and I definitely say another low was when we started reaching out for partnerships to schools, that was a very like, first of all, it was an arduous process because it was so much of email, cold emailing and all of that. And it resulted in no partnership. So when we were first, you know, coming to schools like Harmony or we're going to other schools like um, the LISD district in Carrollton and Louisville, um, what we realized is that there were lots of budgetary constraints for these schools and therefore they couldn't, they didn't have the budget to, to you know, have us as, as their physical after school program. So we heard no countless times and it was a little bit demoralizing, right? Because you're like, I want to scale this in a really big way. I want to try to the B2B market, but I'm just, I'm just hitting no's everywhere. So I'd say that that was most definitely like very hard to take, especially when you have all these people around you and they're like, yeah, we're going to like make this partnership or yeah, we're going to increase in 500 students because we're going to partner with a school and that just doesn't end up happening, you know? Yeah. So there are a couple moments like that for sure. Um, we had a moment very similar to the YMCA where people will sometimes they'll show interest, but then they'll back up or they'll say, we'll come back to you. And I'm just like that those follow-ups, like we always do them, but it's also just like, oh, I wish like one would come through, you know? So yeah. there's always some moments like that. Um, but in terms of highs, I, I will have to say that um, towards the end of my senior year, um, when we finally calculated, like, how much did we raise in just pitching and just me talking and with my team, we raised, like, over 25K. And it was so cool because, like, um, well, I love to talk, as you can probably tell. But basically, like, it was it was amazing to be able to, to stand behind an idea. And then a group of judges or a group of even like fellow entrepreneurs are like, yes, like go do that. Like we support you. Like, let's go, let's go for that. So I joined so many organizations that were related to entrepreneurship, both on campus and outside. I got so many mentors like Brian Chambers. And then we um, ended up really, really finding this community of supporters. You know, I just felt like even if it doesn't work out, I have people and resources around me to be like, Hey, guide me through what I can do better next time. You know? Um, So that's really good. So yeah. And, and, and And that's a great segue. That was going to be kind of my next question was when it comes to surrounding yourself with the right people. So those iterations are going to happen and it's always good to just kind of, like you said, have those people in your corner because you're, you're going to hear no all the time. Um, Mm -hmm. You're going to not win every pitch competition, but Mm -hmm. like you said a little bit earlier, when it's, when it does feel like it's your baby, you know, you, those things kind of have a little bit more weight. When you don't win something and you're like, well, am I getting validated for this? You just need somebody to say, hey, I know you didn't win, but that's a great idea and we're going to do this. You know, um, so how did you really find your your network, whether it's of mentors um, or, or just people that you can pick their brain that, you know, are kind of standing behind you and helping you in what you're trying to do? hundred percent. So the first thing I would say is that, um, from these pitch competitions, I got into this religious habit of I'm not leaving till I get one judge's email. And even if I lost, I'd be like, I lost as you saw, and I would love to talk to you about why I lost. And basically I would get into this habit of, um, just like going up to them and just being as, you know, honestly, as shameless as, as I was. And I was just like, I really would love to get in contact with you. And I would never hear no, because I feel like people, when, especially if you're a student, you're, you're at this really cool place where you're like, people want to support you and they want, they know that you're in a learning process and they want to help you get through that successfully. So um, I would definitely say that I got into the habit of doing that. Um, and then the second thing is at UTD, I I just like juiced the resources out of that just because there was um, the Blackstone launch pad on campus. I attended like every webinar, every seminar, every pitch. And um, at the very end, I would even go to the winner and be like, 
do you have any feedback for my pitch? And half the time, the judge would have the smallest changes that would make the biggest difference. For example, um, I attended a pitch at, at UGA in Athens, and um, the judge came to me and said, your fonts were distracting. Um, and I was like, I never would have known that if you hadn't told me, you know? So, um, and then I got her number, and now she's a mentor of mine. So it's like this really cool um, serendipitous pivot where oh. even though you're not winning, you win in terms of, oh my God, I've got this great feedback. I can totally crush the next one. Yeah. You know? so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so what have you guys done, um, whether it be now or when you started on say the mental side of entrepreneurship? So mm -hmm. the mental side and then like the tactical side are a little bit different. Mm -hmm. So when it came to the mental side, when you were first getting started, Mm -hmm. what was what was that mindset like did you have to kind of just pivot away a little bit from current mind state or what where did you kind of go with that so interesting um i think i would say so i was a neuroscience major and everything was very like by the book right i was mm -hmm. taking ochem and physics too and all of these classes that were very like very logical yeah. and and every and every theorem has an output. Every input has an output. And in entrepreneurship, that is not the case, right? Like you will try thousands of things. Maybe, <laughs> maybe one will work out, you know? Right. I definitely feel like the mindset switch was, okay, I think I need to develop, like there's actually a really interesting term called, um, I guess, psychological strength. And Joe Gebbia, the founder of Airbnb, said that you have to develop a psychological strength because you're going to hear no so many times or you'll try so many things and you have to be ready to be like, hey, it may not work. It, I, I could totally see this like crash around me and I have to be able to continue after that. You know, right. something the mental state from before was like, you know, every input has a positive output. I know what I'm doing. My grades are solid. Like I know exactly what I want and I see the goal for entrepreneurship. It was like, I see the goal. I'm not quite sure how to get there. I have ideas and you follow one and you're like, Oh, that didn't work. Let me go back. So I think like, I think entrepreneurship has most definitely like taught me the skill. It's not perfected at all, but just like taught me the skill of resilience, right? Like how do you bounce back again and again and again? How do you develop that psychological strength to be able to be like, I see a no. How can I turn the next one into a yes based on why they said no, you know? So I think it's just like this constant iteration. So I think that's the mental uh, mindset. I also think entrepreneurship, um, it takes so much of your time because I think about it all the time. You know, when I yeah. wake up, I'm like, I, I could do this. I could do this today. I could try this today. Maybe this will work, you know? And so I definitely think like in my own personal life, um, my, my family and my friends are just like, they know the conversation I'm going to bring up. And, and it's just like, really, like, just like socially, I became, I became very like, even I was like, tell me what you think about this idea. And my parents will have such great ideas and my brother will have such great ideas. And I surrounded my, 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 my friend group changed because they also now started to become entrepreneurs and they started baking businesses. And like, it was yeah. such a, shift of like both social and mental changes. And I'm just like so grateful because now I'm surrounded by people who are just like, they know where I stand and they know what mindset I have. And so, um, you know, failure is, you know, it happens, it, it, but it's important to just fail quickly, fail big and just keep going, you know? So to that, how do you kind of distill down those great ideas? So like, there are a lot of great ideas from the community you've surrounded yourself with that just kind of mm -hmm. ping around at different times. So yeah. how do you distill those down to saying, that is a great idea. Maybe that's a version three type thing down the road, or that's something that I could use right now. How do you, how do you stay with mapping out your course, knowing what the steps are needed to get there and yes. then kind of not letting, even though they are good ideas, how do you not let that outside noise for lack of a better word, kind of take you off of where you're trying to get to in the time frame you're trying to get there? Yeah, that's a, that's a, such a great 
Such a great question. And like, for example, like this past um, Saturday, we were talking about, you know, this weekend I went to Houston, great VR product that we're super interested in. Now in my head, I'm just like, okay, this is a little bit different than what we are offering currently. Um, Is this noise or is this a great idea? And I think that when I'm trying to distill them or I'm trying to differentiate between the two, the first thing I ask myself is, first of all, is there a demand for this? Because even if something is cool, quote unquote, if there is no demand for this product, um, then I'm going to have trouble, first of all, marketing it. But then second of all, um, if I if I don't see that people are are you know purchasing it, it, it might not be a fault of the product, but it might be ahead of its time. Right. Or or maybe it, this is a yeah exactly as you said version five of something we're gonna we're gonna do in year two quarter one you know like maybe yeah. this is something for that you know um but I I think that the way I kind of like look at it is first of all demand the second of all I think uh, the second thing I think about is is this going to hurt or diminish or devalue what we currently offer mm. because right now this is our bread and butter I know this company for like the back of my hand if I introduce something else. Is it going to distract me or hurt what what our customers currently love about us? You know, yeah. um, and the last thing I look for is: does this change the mission or the vision of what we're doing? Um, does this does this impact us in a positive way? Is this actually going to help raise self esteem? Maybe because it in- increases engagement. All of those things. Like I, I just kind of like literally just brainstorm it out and be like, okay, like is this changing what we're doing? Is it going to hurt? anything of our mission or our mission now. Um, and if not, then I'm like, it might be something for, for today might be something that we can add in. Um, and then of course, like I always think about what, what's the cost associated with that, right? What, who right. are the team, who are the teammates that I need to bring on who know this technology in a way that, in, in a way that's fruitful, effective, both costly as well as, you know, within the team dynamic. Um, but yeah, that's kind of like how I distill it and just kind of bring it back down to earth and be like, this is awesome. But like, is it something that I want to do now or in a couple of years? And that's a great way to look at it. Cause I think a lot of times we, we get really amped up about something new, you know, yeah. we're, we're in our own brain about where I'm trying to go and in the time to get there. But when yes. somebody else throws in an idea, we can sometimes get wrapped around the axle of that idea because it's shiny and new. Yes. And I love that you kind of pressure test it from what is it going to cost? What resources are associated? Is yes. it going to help or hurt my current customers and my brand? If I do this. Um, And so kind of going back to the last question, when it comes to say somebody else that's in college wants to start their own business, maybe they're doing the same types of things. They're going to all kinds of lectures, pitch events, and maybe it's even something like yours where it's in a different field where it requires different things. You talked about resilience. That's a really big one. Is there anything else that you would say like somebody else who is a senior in college wants to do their own thing? But from a mindset standpoint, the resources are there. You can surround yourself with, you can find the mentors, you can find the people in your corner to really kind of help you. Or, you know, there's, there's options out there for that. Mm-hmm. But I've always found that like the mindset shift mm-hmm. of what entrepreneurship mm-hmm. takes is something that I wasn't ready for at a certain age. And I feel like a lot of other people might not be ready for because it does require just kind of a delayed gratification. You have to be really good at project management. You have to think mm-hmm. as think about it as a business and not your baby because you're, you, sometimes you'll suffocate the baby because all you do is you put everything into it as yeah. opposed to how can I help it to crawl? How can I help it to walk? How can I help yeah. it to run? Yes. That's such a great way of saying it. And, and I think um, if I were to think about a, a mental kind of state of mind, I guess I would say um, 
when, when people were first giving me feedback about my pitch deck, I would take it personally because, oh my God, like they're talking about me, you know, they're talking about my skill, my, my, um, my, my speaking style. And, and I think that one thing I learned over time was it's the entrepreneurial lifestyle is so much easier when you have some barrier, right? Mm -hmm. When you're like, the feedback is not about me as a person. It's about the company and what I can do to grow it. So I'd say if there's any mindset, like switch or one that I would adopt as an entrepreneur, it's, it's built um, a barrier where I don't want to say emotional barrier because I think it's 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 okay to be emotional about some things, and I think it's quite, kind of un- unrealistic to not expect an entrepreneur to be kind of like hurt when they get you know sure. feedback that's a little bit like harsh or something <laughs> like that. Um, but I would say that like there needs to be some type of grit, some type of hey, I'm recognizing I'm seeing no all the time, but to but to say to, to be logical about the no's. Right. To be like, hey, they're saying no. Why are they saying no? Instead of to be like, I'm just going to I'm going to quit this or I'm not going to do this anymore. But rather be like, OK, they said no. Kind of sucks. But like, why is that happening? Yeah. You know, um, and just to just to kind of like push forward. And I think that that's something that's so hard. But I think as an entrepreneur, the great thing about being an entrepreneur is every day you have a chance to, to, to do it again and again right. and again and again. And so I would say that like every day, like see it as an opportunity. It's going to like really suck sometimes, but the, the rewards are incredible when they happen and they will happen. You know, it just like takes a certain, um, it takes a certain formula, I guess, of the right resources, the right time, the right assets. And then I, I love what you're saying about mindset, because I think that, um, as an entrepreneur, you have to, you have to have the sense of grit and resilience. And I, and I don't want to say that I have it completely down. I absolutely don't, but like, but I'm starting to develop it, right? I'm starting yeah. to be a little bit more, um, a little bit more, like also just open about telling people about it. When people are asking me about it, I'm like, yes. How much time do you have? I, <laughs> right? like, yeah. I just like feel like to be a little bit, a little bit shameless with it, you know, to be like, yeah. I started this. I believe in this idea. Do you have any thoughts? You know, yeah. um, and just kind of be like incredibly open to just like what people have to say. Like I've, I've always believed that every conversation you'll learn something you didn't know. You there something will come out of it. You Love know, and, and, and everything is usable. Everything is usable. Even if it's something where you realize, oh, I don't want to do that. That is as useful as like somebody gave me some really good advice I can implement tomorrow. You know, if you realize, hey, this company kind of went down because of this one thing, how can I avoid that? You know? Um, so yeah, I, I'd say that it's about grit, resilience, and just kind of like pushing, you know? Yeah. I, I, no, and I, I love all of those things. And I feel like mm-hmm. you've, you're, you've really got that, you know? Um, and, uh, and we all strive for it. We all try to work for it because it... Yeah it becomes a bit of a secondary muscle for you. You know, you, you get used to, I don't want to say mm. you get used to hearing no, but you, you learn how to adapt to it because you yeah. look at it through a different lens. It's not that they're saying no, they're not saying no about you or your qualifications, specialties, abilities, your, your mm. idea. They're saying no to what, it, where it fits for them in, in that yes. moment. So, exactly. so why are they saying no? How can I, how can I think in those terms? Uh, like I said, I think that's, that's a great way to look at it because then it's not really a no, it's a learning opportunity. Absolutely. hundred percent. Very much so. And it's, it's interesting that you bring that up because, you know, I also think that it's important to flex entrepreneurial muscles. I think Mm. as you said, it's a muscle. So, you know, my first business in college wasn't even this, it was a call. It's like, you know, the TIFFs treats, like the college cookie delivery system college campus and it was so fun because we realized that you know college campuses don't have the best you know um restaurants on campus that's why a lot of obesity rates are actually increasing in the united states and we were like oh man and and we were were like health students we were pre-med so we were like oh like what can we do about this so we basically a friend and i we went to walmart and came up with an all-organic vegan recipe and we were like if college students are going to reach for cookies 
how can we make sure that it's at least a little bit healthier than what they're reaching for now? And how can we make sure that the price point isn't insane? You know, yeah. so we basically came up with a survey. We found the price point, came up with the ingredients, and we just had order upon order upon order. And it was, and it did it work? No, it's not around anymore. But it was such a great opportunity to just flex those muscles and be like, oh, wow, how do I market? How do I find out sales? How do I find out a financial projection of this? Right. Um, and as we started making profit, we put it into packaging or stickers for the company or whatever it was. And we were, you know, walking through the snow during like exam time to like drop this off to some student's apartment. It was so, it was so interesting. Is it around? No, but it was such a great opportunity to be like, Hey, I'm going to try something. I don't know if it's going to work out. It's not about the money. It's about the experience of it and what, what I can learn, you know? But, yeah, yeah, that's great. And so as we wrap up, I want to make sure to let everybody know how they can follow you, how they can follow Bride Out, everything. So floor is yours. Take it away. Amazing. Okay, great. Yeah. So um, yeah, please feel free to like email us at brightowl39 at gmail. Um, our website is www.bright-owl.com. Um, and yeah, you can find our number and any other number um, emails or contact for Instagram or Facebook. We're always watching. So feel free to contact us anytime. <laughs> oh, that was great. Sophia, thank you so much. Like yeah. I said, it's, I hate that it's been so long since I've actually gotten to see you and hang out with you. Um, yeah. yeah, everything is, you know, fantastic. And I'm just thank so you. excited to watch everything that you're doing with Bright Owl. So um, thank, thank you. you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. <laughs>